0: Well good morning everyone. Good morning. Excited to be here the first Sunday in the Advent season. This season leading up to Christmas that's defined by this this idea of waiting and expectation for the coming Messiah. The Sears family kicked off our the Advent season this Christmas celebration actually yesterday. We started celebrating early with my grandma. She's going to Florida uh, soon, so we wanted to celebrate Christmas with her before the snowbird went down south, and uh, so we had some presents and a big meal, of course, and unknown to me and my wife, my grandma was giving some uh, scraps for after the meal to our dogs, and uh, so I woke up early this morning to go over my sermon again and uh, spent a lot of time cleaning up dog diarrhea in the, in the garage. Uh, So, it's been a great morning so far. Great kicking off the Christmas season. Well, here we're kicking off this season by starting a new sermon series called More Than a Baby. So, it's this week and the next three weeks leading up to Christmas. And we believe that this baby born in this earth 2,000 years ago really did change everything. And it's this man named Jesus that really sets Christians apart. It's what we're all about, and it should set us apart. In fact, the early, what I I find fascinating, if you don't mind just starting off the sermon with a little rabbit trail, um, back in the very beginning of the church, after Christ had died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, the very early believers didn't call themselves Christians. Uh, In fact, they didn't even come up with the name Christians. And I don't think they wanted to be anything different you know, instantly, they they were Jews, the first believers, and they said, wow, this is the Messiah. This is whom we have been waiting for. And as they've been spreading the word to their other Jewish believers and the Gentiles now, they're saying, this this is what it means. This is what we are all about. And there were many Jews that did, you know, believe in that. But it wasn't enough, and many of the Jews really dug their heels in the ground and finally it's like okay we can't just be judaism fulfilled in the messiah but it's different enough jesus changed everything so much that this really is something completely different and so they started referring to themselves not as christians but as the way they were known as the way and when other people see the, the word christians or christianos in greek is only mentioned in the bible three times Twice in the book of Acts, the story of the early church, in both times in Acts, it was actually other people, non-Christians, talking about the people of the way, and I can just imagine them talking about it. He's like, you know, those people of the way, and people are like, wait, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, those, those Jesus people, those people that are, that are all about Jesus, the, the, the Christ people, the Christians, the Christians, right? Christios means the anointed one, Christ. And then Christianos literally means those belonging to the anointed one. That's what set them apart. And here at LCC, we want to be defined by those who belong to the anointed one. Who are those people? You know, those crazy Jesus people who meet on 250 North? There and- <laughs> oh, those, those, are the, those are the Jesus people. Those are the Christians. Now, Jesus, this Christ, has more than 50 different names throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at just a few of those. And we hope that through this sermon series, a few things, that we can learn this person named Jesus, who is more than a baby. We can learn more about Christology, which is a word, I didn't just make that up, the study of Christ, so that we can come to a more full knowledge of who this Christ is and what he means to us, so that it would change or enhance the way that we view Christmas and that it would go on to transform the way that we live our lives all throughout the year. And first, the very first topic we're taking is Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He's more than a baby. He's the firstborn of all creation. So let's start with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I do thank you for this opportunity to be here together, gather as Christians, as Christ people. And as we begin celebrating this uh, season of Advent, looking forward to uh, to Christmas, in some ways it's a difficult season of waiting, of longing, of expectation. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in, through, and among us and open our eyes on how we can best be followers of you, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So the main passage we're looking at, if you want to follow along in your Bible, is Colossians 1, 15 through 16. Colossians 1. So this book, just for a little bit of context, is from the Apostle Paul, um, a convert to Christianity uh, and a strong believer and leader of the faith in the early church. And he's writing to the Christians, the Christ people, in the city of Colossae, which is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he's talking about Jesus. In fact, reading Paul is a great way to learn about Christ and learn Christology because this is what sets them apart. And so he speaks a lot about the supremacy of who Christ is. And that's exactly what he's doing here in Colossians 1, and it's on the screen. Uh, It says, the Son, meaning the Son of God, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Right? He is God. The invisible God we can't see. He's, he's God seen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, And in him, all things hold together. In a way, this is beautifully simple, but at the same time, it's very, very complicated too. And I feel like you have to read it a few times to let it start sinking in. But I want to first talk about this idea of a firstborn. It says a firstborn of all creation, and it matters what this means. First, I want to just talk about, can we all agree that there's something in our nature, our human nature, a primal nature of just this desire to want to be first. It seems like in our house, I just have to rattle the ice cream scoop in our drawer, and it just instantly creates a battle of who can be first, you know, to get ice cream. Some of you may remember uh, the, the space race. Okay, This is when the, mainly the Americans and the Soviets are battling who can be the first to space and then who can be the first to the moon. And at surface level, it's like, okay, what does that matter so much? But it meant so much more than just the feet, right? It was this idea of who can be first. And whoever was first, it's like that meant that is the better system. That's the better, the better people. It, it represents so much more than just being the first person, even though it was a crazy feat in itself to go to space and go to the moon. Anyone here ultra-competitive? You know, I I feel like I could relate to this meme a little bit where it says, first place or second place, you mean first loser, right? That's what anything less than first feels sometimes. Now, some Indianapolis trivia for you. Who can tell me who this person is? Ray Haroon. Ray Haroon Haroon and the Marmon Wasp. And he was known to be the first winner of the very first Indy 500 in 1911, do you know who got second place? Exactly, right? No one remembers who got second. I have no idea. Uh, it would be, a re- you have to really be a good Indy 500 trivius triviest, uh to know that. Because we remember and we want to know who is first. He was the one in the newspapers um, the next morning. In an ancient Near Eastern culture, this meant so much more than just being first this idea of the firstborn meant everything so let's go way back in the ancient ancient bible ancient scriptures back in the beginning of the old testament now in the point in history this is far beyond the hunter-gatherer stage in history we're in the agricultural stage in history many societies were built in this agricultural systems and the family status was everything okay hang in here for a minute when i explain this a little more Imagine, no retirement funds, no stock to hold in the company. The only thing you really had for your legacy was your your family, the system you were involved with with your family and what you inherited from that estate and what you can give on and pass down to the future generations of your family. So this family status, it determined your property, your security, your wealth, your status. And it was a big deal to be the firstborn, because the firstborn son, it was just the son, sorry ladies, I didn't write history, it just happened, the firstborn son was the one to carry on that family legacy. The other family members were involved, especially the other sons, but the firstborn son was completely set apart. In fact, I find it interesting, the Hebrew language, the ancient Hebrew language, even just as, na- as language evolves, it has its own word Meaning to bear a firstborn. The word bahar, it, it's not just to bear a child, there's a different verb for that. But there was an actual verb that was associated with bearing the firstborn child. I don't think we have anything like that in English. And just this was so ingrained in their language, in their culture, in the way that they lived that the firstborn was set apart. The firstborn got double portion of the inheritance. So what that means is, if it, if everything didn't go to the firstborn son, and you wanted to distribute it among your other sons, let's say you had four boys, well then you would split your estate into five portions, and you would give your firstborn a double portion of that estate. But it wasn't just the great things about it; it was the responsibility of the family, the authority. You, as the firstborn son, we're the person that people look to to represent the family and your status and your wealth and your property, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think you're getting the idea. And I, don't, I think there's even a little bit of that in even American culture today, not nearly, nearly at the same extent, but there's something about your firstborn kid, right? When, you're, when a husband and wife come together and they have the first child, it's like, wow, this really changes everything for us. And we even oftentimes keep the last name of the boy. So it's like giving a firstborn son is like, wow, my name can carry on. And we see a little bit of the personality differences. Well, there's books written on birth order, right? Who you are in that. Uh, I, think it's, I think some things are really true and deeply ingrained and some things are just, are just funny. Uh, I, I'm just curious who, by show of hands, is a firstborn, male or female, firstborn, Okay. So, you're all the type A, responsible, mature. So, <laughs> nailed it, all right. Who here is the youngest, the baby, who can't ever do anything wrong, who gets double scoops of ice cream? <laughs> who here is the forgotten middle child? All right, okay. You're the, the chill, the go with the flow. Now, I've got just two very short videos. I wonder if any of you guys can relate to any of these things, whether it's your own family or your kids. Watch this video. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want... This. I don't want any of this stuff. I just want peace on earth and this phone. All right. So I think you see the point. We there, There's this difference here, and you can probably imagine, especially as how deeply it was ingrained in ancient culture and how much was writing on this firstborn son, that it created... A lot, a lot of problems. It created many times animosity, jealousy, sometimes even murder of that firstborn. And let's not even get into how kingdoms work, right? The kingdom and the firstborn son inheriting the kingdom and how much conspiring and assassination and all these things. And then how many wars were based on these civil or sibling rivalries and such. The firstborn meant a lot. Now, that's the context. Enter now the biblical story. If you haven't read through like the whole Bible in a year to kind of get the whole breadth of what the Bible is all about, I encourage you to do that. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution for you. But you'll see, if you just read through the Bible, you see how God continues and over and over again, he has a habit of challenging these natural human assumptions about power and privilege and disrupting this culture of the firstborn. He oftentimes picks the second born, the third born, the last born, the youngest, to be the one to be blessed, and oftentimes to be the one to lead his people. Just some very quick examples for for time's sake. We'll go very quick. Cain and Abel, from the very beginning, the first siblings ever. Cain was the oldest. Abel was the youngest. And yet it was Abel's offering that God looked down and had favor on. And it created so much disdain that Cain even killed his son out of that jealousy. Abraham, the father of all the nations, did you know he was a thirdborn? He just started a line of God disrupting this in his family and God choosing the secondborn. Abraham's son, Isaac, he was a secondborn. Ishmael was the firstborn. Then Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, twins, not by much, but Jacob came out second He was the second born, and it was actually through a scandal, if you know that story. A scandal, how he was able to trick Esau to getting the inheritance, and God honored that. Whether he chose that or just went with that, it was the second born who went on to carry the line of Israel, Israel, leading to Jesus. Later on, Moses. Moses, the, the the incapable one who wasn't good with speech, he was the second born. I'm skipping a lot, by the way. These are just some big hitters. In my favorite is David, King David. This was at the time where the people looked around and they chose Saul to be king. He was the, the handsome, strong, kingly person that was chosen. And how it works, Jonathan, his firstborn son, was to be king next. And God says, that's not who I want king. I want someone else. And he chose a lowly family of Jesse and his sons. And he sent his prophet Samuel to go and to, to find the next king of Israel among the sons of Jesse. And I love this story. He t- and so Jesse, he's probably so excited. He lines up his son. His firstborn, of course, is first. Eliab is his name. And Eliab must have been kingly material. He must have, because in 1 Samuel 16, 6, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, <laughs> Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look... At the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so it's not Eliab, so he goes to the nextborn, and then the nextborn, and then the nextborn, and the nextborn, and the nextborn. And finally, he gets done with all of the sons that are there, and then scratching his head, the Lord hasn't told me which it is. Literally, he says, Do you have any more sons? He says, Well, There's David, the the runt of the litter. You know, the the youngest one who's out there tending the sheep. He says, we'll call him in. David comes in, and it says, Then the Lord says, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Throughout the Bible, God is constantly subverting and overturning these natural human assumptions about status, power, and privilege. And yet, as Jesus comes... And Paul is now writing to his people in Colossae about Jesus and who he is. He doesn't de-emphasize. He emphasizes this idea of being a firstborn. Not just a firstborn, but the firstborn of all creation. Literally, I guess Jesus was the firstborn of Mary and Joseph. But firstborn doesn't mean that he was just born of Mary and Joseph. And I want to be really clear here. And I feel like we're going in the weeds, but this is really important. That he also was not the firstborn of God. Because another way to read this would be, okay, he's the firstborn of all creation. So as God created everything, Jesus was first. He was the first thing created. And this idea of this firstborn, not meaning of origin, but of status... Was so ingrained in this culture that they would know, the readers of Paul would understand that he no, Paul's not talking about Jesus being the firstborn of Mary and Joseph, nor is he talking about Jesus being the firstborn from God's creation. He's not referring about origin, but of status. You see, this just this little difference totally can undermine. A very, very important theological principle in Christianity about the Trinity. God was, or Jesus was not created by God, but Jesus was with God in the beginning, a part of this tri dance that we call the Trinity. The a okay illustration. I'm not sure if it's perfect. It just comes to my mind about uh, an artist creating a beautiful master masterpiece. On, ontologically, meaning the essence of being, the masterpiece is less than the artist, right? I mean, that goes without saying in this example, right? The artist was able to create the masterpiece. He is ontologically more than the painting. The painting Is not able to and will never be able to create the artist. The artist was the only one to be able to create the painting. And no matter how beautiful it is, let's say God did create Jesus, no matter how perfect he was, no matter how beautiful the masterpiece of Jesus was, ontologically, Jesus would be less than God. And if that were the case, then Jesus wouldn't be the fullness of God. And he would be a liar too, because he said he was the fullness of God. And his sacrifice on the cross wouldn't have held the weight of glory and would not have bridged the gap of sin between us and God. But we see in plenty of other places in Scripture that this isn't the case. God did not create Jesus. In John chapter 1, we read that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And if we pull the, the main passage of Scripture back on the screen, please, we see that it says, all things have been created through him and for him meaning Jesus. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, that statement, in him all things hold together. That's deep, and I don't even understand how that all holds together. If you're looking for something as a life group or something to study, do that and get back with me, because I'm curious with how the conversation goes. But by stating from Paul that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he was claiming Jesus' status. That Jesus was the one who inherited all power, all authority, all responsibility, all wealth, all honor, all dominion. Through him, all things were created, and in him, all things hold together. Oh, Jesus was more than just a baby. He was more than a person. He was more than a leader. He was more than a teacher, a prophet, or any of the millions of other things that he has been called or people claim him to be or claim him not to be. Jesus is Emmanuel at the beginning of time, at the end of time, the consummation of the earth, and right now, God with us. Every season in our house, uh, Kelly, my wife, decorates our fireplace and our mantle, uh, you know, with stuff from that season. And it's beautiful and it's super well done. I'm the one responsible for getting the box from the attic, so I contribute, right? Uh, but she decorates it so beautifully, and we're in a new house, we got a new paint mantle and such, and so she's decorating it for Christmas. And she came to me, and with excitement, and was like, Thomas, I've been, I've been looking for the perfect, like, centerpiece. You know, that, that represents Christmas. And she said, there's so many things. There's, there's thousands of things you can buy or make or whatever to have and represent Christmas or represent Jesus. She's like, I was just thinking, what is the most simple thing? What's the one image that encompasses everything that Christmas is all about? So if I'm thinking and thinking and looking and looking, and she said, I found it and I bought it. It's on its way. In fact, it's still on its way. It should be here tomorrow. I said, okay, well, show it to me. And then this is the picture that she chose for the centerpiece, the manger. And I instantly thought it was cool. I thought, this was a, I thought this was a really great thing. But the more and more I thought about it, and at the same time, also preparing for this sermon, I'm like, holy cow. What a more perfect picture that describes, it is the pinnacle of God taking what we know to be all authority, all power, all rights that we have as the firstborn and completely turning it upside down. Jesus, the one who truly holds all power and authority, how did he come to earth? He came born in a barn, born from a teenage virgin from nobody town Nazareth In this idea, this Christological paradox, there's several of those in the Bible, but I think this one's top of my list right now. How the wholeness of God can become in the form of a baby completely turning around what we have, the idea of status and authority. This, in my opinion, shows what Christmas is all about. Now, as we're entering into Christmas, Sometimes uh, holidays have this, have this like, ability to, to emphasize the good things in our lives and also the bad things in our life. You may be entering into a Christmas season and uh, it could be lonely, might not be the one that's invited to all the Christmas parties. It might be this holiday season where you feel more than ever the pain from a divorce, the loss of a loved one, maybe even the first Christmas of the loss of the, from the loss of a loved one. And it's so easy to feel that insignificance, unworthiness, maybe even unnoticed. And if that's you in any way, I'm talking to you. Living as a Christian... As someone who follows Jesus, it doesn't just change the way you live. It doesn't change, just change what you know and understand about the world. It literally changes your identity. It changes who you are. As these early Christians were talking to the other Jews and saying, like, no, you don't understand. Jesus, he gives us the new identity, and this is why it's available For the Gentiles now, because when God looks down, he doesn't need the sacrifice. He sees you through the lens of this perfect baby boy who grew up to be the savior of the world. And when he sees you and sees those impurities, sees the insignificance, sees the different things going on in your life, he sees that through the one who was the firstborn, the one who had all the power and the authority and the one who will rule and reign forever. And because he sees you in that way, you have the right and the status and the power of the firstborn. And what I think is so crazy is that when Jesus comes back again, we don't have time to go through this, but I put a few just verses if you really want to look at it later, Um, you can jot these down. It says when God comes and creates this new heaven and new earth, that we just won't be there with him, but we will be creating and ruling with him. You see, that status of the firstborn, that status that Jesus came, that had, because he came down and to serve and redeem humanity, he was what it meant to be fully human. And now we are seen through that light, and we will one day reign and rule with him, with that status of the firstborn. Isn't that cool? And I want to end uh, this time just talking a little bit about this passage of Philippians. So it's another writing of Paul, and he's talking about Jesus. He's talking to a different group of Christians who live in Philippi. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it's talking about how we are supposed to act. And why I'm bringing this up is because it really is like, what does this mean for us? Okay, being the status of the firstborn through Jesus, what does that mean? Does that mean I, I go about and touting about my firstborn status now? And he says, well, look at, look at Christ. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, right, see the similarities already between the Colossians and the, the Philippians passions, passage, who in the very nature nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Right throughout all, all, the, all the, even the biblical history, even the good people in the Bible, we see often them, even the second-borns that were, that were chosen, even David messed up, even the ones that inherited the right of the firstborn through God's intervention screwed it up. He said, even though he didn't, or did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Born in a manger. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. At... LCC here, we we don't have tons of like programming and tons of different like ministries and such. And part of the reason why is because we want to be a disciple making church. We really believe that if we are to be continually formed into the image of Christ, we need to be discipled by somebody and also discipling others. And we have different trainings and different things to help us do that. But I want you to really consider like We need to continue to push for this, and first by doing this by example. We see the example of Christ, and we need to be asking ourselves, how can we serve in this same way, and how can we be discipling others to take on this image of Christ as well? We talk about these connect cards every single Sunday. I want to encourage you, if you have never been discipled, then reach out and we wanna connect you with someone to disciple you. If you want to be involved in discipling others and don't necessarily how to start, use that connect card, use that QR code and say, I need need help figuring this out. I want to do this. And like I said, there's a variety of different ways we can connect and do that and walk alongside you in this journey. That's why there's not tons of programming here because this is what we need to be focused on. To live a life that is redefined, that is completely flipped upside down, then by Jesus' example who came not to tout that authority, but to love, serve, and teach others to do the very same. So Father in heaven, as we conclude this sermon, this time as we've been exploring what it means that you are the firstborn of all creation. I want to pray those last words um, in that passage of Philippians about that little baby whom rests all power and authority, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. I pray that you will exalt this baby in the highest place, whom you have given the name that is above every other name, and to that name, Jesus Christ, that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth In every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our prayer for our lives, for our families, and for our church. To the glory of you, God the Father, forever and ever. Amen. One last kind of postscript thing I want to leave you all. Um, I, I want to let you know, a lot of this, this stuff and some of the study I did about the firstborn of all creation was, was taken um, from the, the Bible Project, a group there. And they've got some extensive things that I really benefited a lot from. But what I noticed in that study is that they have a short five-minute video called What Jesus Meant by The Last Will Be First. Five minutes, and it is incredible video about this topic that helps explain it in a very simple and visually cool uh, way. So if you're interested in that, just just Google that, and you'll be able to see that. Um, and then also, I want to share with you this book. It's called Who is Jesus by Kate Hawks. Um, when I was talking with Craig about this sermon series, um, my wife, Kelly, bought this just as a study for our kids, It's amazing. It's simple for kids to understand. And I gain so much when I hear it and I read it. And so the very first little lesson in this was Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So when I was talking with Craig, I said, I know how we need to start this. It's the firstborn of all creation. And uh, it was great having that idea from this book. And I highly encourage, if you're looking for some type of study for yourself or for your kids, uh, this this is really good stuff. So thank you all. Let's worship.